0: For now, let's start the conversation.
1: All right. Welcome to you, Dave Gray. Welcome back. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's amazing how quickly a year can fly by. Um, Mm -hmm. Considering that we are, you know, literally over a year out of COVID since we had this last conversation, Um, For those of you who have not met Dave Gray before, uh, Dave and I had a conversation last year in 2022. Today is 20th of March, 2023. And Dave Gray is a um, prolific, um, I would almost call it a, I mean, you, you embody visual thinking in terms of being able to articulate a narrative and do it visually and enable other people to do that too um that in itself might be something that you may or may not have seen from the many videos that you've created but also the three books that you've authored um the first one i came across was Gamestorming. you wrote the connected company and you wrote selling to the vp of no which is a little tongue-in-cheek i think uh, book if i'm not mistaken uh, but very relevant um thanks for being back on the podcast oh, my pleasure so one of the things we do with our podcast uh, guests is look back at the horizon of change that was addressed in the previous podcast. So we had an onstage and a backstage conversation last year. And um, obviously, um, the thing that what was interesting is you, um, your horizon of change actually was addressed at the very end of the onstage part of the podcast. Uh, usually, we have that conversation at the, more at the beginning. But you ended off by saying something in the in, in terms of I want to pivot or optimize the way that the skill set of working remotely can be applied more generously or more effectively. Um, may we ask you and trigger you that question to say, what over the past year have you pivoted in that working method or what have you seen happening that other people are doing around you?
2: Yeah, well, I, I guess... Um typically when we think, um, because of COVID, we've ended up doing a lot more of our work remotely. And I think typically people see that as a constraint or a limitation. Um, it's not as good as meeting in person. Um, it's, we prefer to meet in person, but we're going to do this because we have to, and we're going to deal with the limitations. Um, my goal over the past year or since COVID has happened is to flip that, um, and really think about what is it that we can do remotely that we can't do in person, the things that actually are more beneficial or better and focus on those and um, try and leverage those. And there are there are a bunch. I mean, when, when uh, you wanna meet in person and you have to fly people in from all over, there's a great deal of expense. And plus you're kind of um, maybe artificially require you like the, cons- the constraints require you to compress that conversation so you have it all in one day or two days on executive offsite retreat so forth strategy session um and forcing those into time com- time box can be beneficial but on the other hand um it can deprive people of the opportunity to think and reflect um take a you know sleep on things and when you have the opportunity to meet remotely, let's say, instead of having to compress everything into a couple of days or a weekend, you can do it over the course of a week. Um, You can have shorter sessions, maybe two, three hour sessions, give people time to reflect, do homework, do some thinking, and then come back fresh. Uh, Maybe instead of doing something in two two full days where people are just exhausted, um, you can spread it out over five days and take your time and um, structure the conversation and even have some wiggle room for things that might emerge uh, in the course of that conversation. So um, what I found is that um, we'll, while people are initially reluctant, I mean, I think, you know, um, when you uh, when you flip the script, so to speak, and you focus on the things that are beneficial about um, virtual meetings. You start to find that you can, not only can you do all the things that you could do in a face-to-face meeting, but you can even do more. And um, yes, there are some things that you lose from that face-to-face conversation, uh, but there are also a lot of things that you gain. Hmm. You can include people in meetings that otherwise wouldn't you wouldn't be able to include, for example.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think the ability to include more or people that might other not otherwise be excluded, um, is definitely something that gives much more reach to what's happening. I um as an example, maybe, you know, two, two of the other guests on our podcast, Sunil Maholtra and Danielle De Jong, were two people that I met through um an online session that you had kicked off, I think, through a sparked conversation on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Uh, must have been What maybe a year and a half or two years ago Um, where I think the ability to gather people also that don't don't know each other um, there's a very powerful way to create new connections Um, absolutely one of these two people I've had the opportunity to meet in person in Las Vegas and are now working on projects together Sunil, the other person is, I think I have a podcast recording with him next week, where we're talking about, you know, the conversation we had last year, just like we're doing with you right now. So your, your empathy map, uh, let's say uh, practices and and the practicing of empathy in our daily practice, uh, but also I think how you connect people online uh, enables new connections. And that's quite powerful, to say the least. Um, have you had similar experiences yourself, where you've met people online first, and then had the opportunity to pursue the conversations in a live setting?
2: Oh, very much so. I mean, that's probably one of the um, one of my first realizations with social media was the fact that you, um, if you connect with people through uh social networks you're connecting usually through common ground and shared interests and so um because of things like uh, flickr and twitter and uh, facebook and um, other things that are instagram other things that you know maybe are less uh, popular now but have kind of gone the way of uh um you know obsolescence what i found was by having by making those connections kind of in advance of of maybe in advance of needing them just connect in, in advance of having a reason to create those connections but connecting them through shared interest and I found when uh, when I did later travel uh, all kinds of friends that I would have never probably met otherwise um, yeah. uh, connected with them in, in real life and yeah. uh, it's uh, uh, I think it's sort of uh, accelerates and speeds up the intimacy that
1: you can have with other people. Yeah, for sure. And it's and it's fascinating how, I mean, I remember, um, you know, being connected on social media, then, and this is quite some time back, right? When, when Twitter and those channels started back in, let's say 2000, you know, the last financial crisis we know maybe, mm-hmm. uh, or around that time. Those tools were actually born or tested first, prototype at events, right? So, uh, I, I remember Foursquare and Twitter using South by Southwest as a platform to kind of, you know, where where are the coolest bands that you might have missed if you weren't, you know, if you weren't around those people that knew where that band was, mm-hmm. or the geolocated thing, or connecting on, you know, whether it's YouTube through videos or Flickr on photos, or you know, things, mental models that you use um uh, piqued our interest and that's how we connected to our colleague dennis uh who you know as well dennis Lyer mm-hmm. and um and the use of the empathy map that we've practiced over time uh, through the practice that alex osterwalder um uh used it um use it for in, in in relation to the business model canvas led us to go to the uh, business design summit in berlin where you were one of the speakers as well and we got to meet in person so the stringing together of relationships over time is fascinating how common ground can create intersections of um, um, not just content, but also interest, I think. Yeah, absolutely. What, um, what do you see current? I mean, today, I'd like to ask your opinion about that. Today, I came across uh, maybe one of the most functional um, applications of the new thing that everyone's talking about right the artificial intelligence uh, Mm. um, accessibility for the common user right it's probably been around for a way longer time than most people uh, care to know Uh, but today i saw um, khan academy some uh, uh, you know um, using it in a very interesting learning environment i don't know if you've come across it but today he published a a video that I, i i'll put it in the comments here because um, it made me think of, um, of our conversation last year, um, because you had mentioned that, you know, your journalistic background, your inquisitive way of asking questions and this drive to help people develop a shared understanding and to make things better and faster decisions, because you know that when they get together, they create a much more lasting impact. Um, the process of the learning of that is actually a very valuable thing sometimes it's hard to decode how that happens and it's really interesting to see that um, he is now using um artificial intelligence to help people in the learning process Hmm. it's almost like a chatbot driven trial and error guided mentorship through artificial intelligence that not just explains the concept or explains how it should work, right? Or how it does work, but then allowing the user to practice it and be guided through the practice rounds and when mistakes are made is almost being coached digitally Mm. as to what the mistake entails or why the mistake is good for them to learn from it or what, why the mistake is probably being made. And that's quite interesting because it almost feels like in the learning journey, AI is starting to empathize with the learner. Yet it's a very cold system, right? <laughs> and I wonder oh, if, sure. if that's almost like, you know, art will teachers become obsolete?
2: I don't know, yeah, good question. <laughs>
1: Is the, is the um, have you experimented with it yourself at any stage yet or?
2: Yeah, yeah, I have, uh, you know, just in a very kind of light conversational way, um, asking questions, asking it to, uh, um, you know, um, kind of a maybe as a, a kind of a reflective thinking tool when I'm thinking about something and might ask it to reflect on these things and, um see what i get back see if it's anything different than i'm thinking
0: mm-hmm.
2: um maybe see if i'm missing something um but not not in any serious way so far
1: yeah i think i think what i'm what i'm very curious to find out um and this is something that you inspired us to do you know and in, and in, getting a group of people to empathize with someone else instead of one other person doing it or one voice, right? The, the, the multitude of voices allows you to almost get, you know, different perspectives, different views on something, but also allows you to sometimes vectorize the information, right? To like get, get it, get it validated through multiple channels Mm -hmm. They're saying the same thing. It kind of helps you to justify whether it's true or not true, or whether you're on the right track or off track. Um, I'm um, I'm really curious to see if if there will be will be opportunities for doing that with these kinds of tools as well because I think what I've what I've experienced is that if you give a group of people thinking about a problem from different perspectives that's what allows the power of the power of thinking of humans to really come to um come to deliver its value.
2: Yeah, I mean I hope that we find that there are different ai personalities and um you know that they they show different characteristics so we can maybe even triangulate between them like we do with news, news sources you know yeah. um and uh maybe somewhere in between there find the real truth like, yeah yeah something <laughs> like that yeah. yeah
1: and i remember uh, you know sunil um recently writing an article, which was very interesting based on chat GPT three, the previous edition, where if you ask it to give a history of the world or like how the world has developed, it's a very Western view of, Mm. of the information because that's the information that's predominant on the internet. And because the volume is so high of that information, it's seen as a higher truth than something that's less documented on the internet, maybe in Mm -hmm. other languages. Yeah. That's queuing scares me.
2: <laughs> well, it's already the case. Whether, whether without the AI, it's already the case, right? So yeah. Yeah. Um, it's already the perception. Um,
1: yeah. Definitely. Um, besides this, this pivot that you're doing in terms of working remote work, or let's say if you would have to distill a couple of lessons of the things that you've learned besides what you've said so far in your own skill set. What has developed most you would say in the last year? What have you practiced most? Well, I've
2: actually um I'm very interested in uh you mentioned visual thinking and and you talk about things like an event, what is it, a horizon? Mm -hmm. You didn't call it horizon of change, yeah, Yeah. Horizon of change, and um use a lot of visual metaphors when you speak. I'm I'm very interested in information landscapes. Mm -hmm. Um you know, the way that we visualize and process information, you know, we look at, um, we look at the weather, we look at the terrain, Um, we have very sophisticated visual processing skills. And I'm, uh, I continue to, I've always been interested in this and I continue to be interested in um, how do you take um, some set of information that you think is important for people to understand and how do you Uh, design that into a a visual story. I mean, I I do a lot of work with people on um, helping them uh, visualize their selling story um, or their change story. And I think that um, the process of uh, the empathy mapping is a really important part of that process because people do prime them. People do have a tendency to focus on things that they're already interested in or that Mm -hmm. they um, that relate to their goals, um, and, uh, but I think there's a lot of very sophisticated and very subtle ways that we, um, interpret, uh, a visual field, like a landscape, and I think that landscapes are really well suited to, uh, storytelling, so I, um, that's the area that I have focused on for most of my life and continue to focus on, I think it's, um, I think it's just
1: fascinating to explore what's possible there so um, this sparks an idea or let's say something I came across uh, some time back at San Diego State University where we were doing a, a program and when we visualize our event canvases, um, the narratives are visualized you know basically on the sheet music of events, which allows people to understand it quite quickly but I had a group of, um, or two people walked by where we were workshopping, uh, where we were doing our program, and, um, and they took a big interest in this one project, a nuclear security summit that was mapped out. Mm. And they mentioned, we were looking at this, but from the other end, <laughs> and I was wondering what that meant, because the nu- nuclear security summit basically 56 heads of state getting together to secure nuclear materials. Um, This was quite a number of years back, actually. Uh, They were looking at the opposite data set in terms of any abnormalities to signal security issues or possible interferences of what, what might happen with the heads of state at that event. So it was almost like from a security perspective, they looked at the full data set of the Internet to see any abnormal behaviors or any things that might relate to signals that might indicate something that they need to pay attention to. And that blew my mind because just imagine the amount of data that you then are trying to analyze. Mm -hmm. And surprisingly enough, their background was that they are geographers. Hmm. And they took data sets from, for instance, a conference or data set from the weather or data sets from Spotify, and they flipped the information into a geographic map. Hmm. And these are now applications that are being developed and used. Um, there's some examples, happy to share that as well. So it almost becomes like a semantic map of, let's say, if you picture music, which might be the easiest version, you can see that, for instance, blues and heavy metal uh, lie quite close to you know, some, uh, some, some other areas, for instance, of you know, classical music. or mm-hmm. And it turns into valleys and mountains of data that you can then navigate in a level of detail. Because the analysis of the musical notes, um, the chords, you know, the progressions, the speed, the tempo, the frequency, whatever it might be, is very analytical. And if you crunch it well enough, it can turn into a map. Interesting. Yeah. And so this is like, I'm, I'm also wondering if, if these kinds of applications, besides the human skill of being able to listen and translate information and make it understandable for others, whether that kind of skill set of, for instance, geographers will help us to better understand the relationship between certain pieces of information.
2: Could be, could be,
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, They also did that, and and funnily, this this came out of events um, because they had taken data from poster submissions of a specific field and used that data to map it geographically because they are geographers. And it helped them to understand the data better because there's so much data coming in at every conference from academic research, for instance. This is an academic event, and they started playing around with that, and that's become a really like important tool they use now for security purposes. 100%. Yeah. So um, I think there's, like you said, the the ability to to take information and make it much more useful by visualizing it is a is probably one of the things that we have to be looking out for
2: yeah and there's Mm -hmm. a difference i think between um how you visualize information in a map and how you might visualize it in a landscape i think um a lot of people have trouble reading maps um, because they're having to translate something from um you know what you might see onto kind of an aerial view Whereas um, I think if you, uh, if you think about a landscape, imagine how you, see, how you visualize a landscape, it's right in front of you. Yep. So it's very intuitive, the way that you process that.
1: Yeah, and I think this is part of the, um, the 2D, 3D you know, mental dexterity that we, we need to build every single time, right? When you try to imagine something, especially when it pertains to future events, um, doing that in 3d is very difficult yeah uh so you have to almost start with the 2d or the the map version in order to translate it to someone else right the other thing i learned from from dennis in that regard is that taking any situation and hitting it over the head with a big hammer to 2d it from 3d to 2d is Mm. a very specific skill set Mm. Um, but it's very important and it can only represent a moment in time in 2d and the 3D allows you to actually get more time into it. You can you can imagine more time into the differences between the horizons that you that you that you look at. Anyway, we're getting a bit f- philosophical here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm always fascinated by. Um, I regularly take your book at hand, the uh, gamestorming book, and I recommend it to other people. I also recommended yesterday. I was having lunch with someone here in Basel in Switzerland, um, who runs um one of the top five star hotels in the city and we talked about liminal thinking oh yeah Yeah. fantastic and i referred back to our conversation from last year and which i found very inspiring in terms of changing my behavior um which is keeping much more space in your agenda to have change happen without uh, necessarily filling up every single nook and cranny of your agenda so you have space to actually change in that space between all the other meetings.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you you don't always know what you want until it's there, do you?
1: Yeah, yeah, and I I really appreciate that. I I mean, it's something that only occurred to me actually fairly recently, maybe last week, and I started actually doing it. I thought about it a lot, but now I started doing it to change even something that's planned into things that were unplanned. It's 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 actually easier than than it sounds. Uh, our 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 fellow author um, Paul Wilkins um, mentions that the purpose of thinking is to stop thinking, and in order to do that, you have to be in that moment. Mm. Um, uh, but thank you for inspiring that um, the thought. I don't know if it was deliberate or it was by coincidence. Yeah. Um, but it's something we could, uh, if, if you listen back to the previous episode from last year, I would encourage anyone that's listening to the podcast to try that, right? Strategic quitting, like take things out of your planning to leave space in between because it's in the space that the change happens for sure. yeah. Yeah. Um, dare I ask, uh, Dave, what's on your next horizon of change now that the The pivot of a working remote, working remotely, and optimizing that working situation. Is there anything in your next horizon of change that you'd like to share with our?
2: Well, I'm still. I mean, I think probably for my whole life, I will never exhaust the possibility of what you can, um, what you can do in an information landscape, what you can communicate, um, things that people struggle to communicate verbally or in writing um, yeah. often will come together or coalesce into a picture relatively quickly and easily. Um, I'm really interested in group um, participatory uh, methods for developing and creating those kind of storytelling landscapes. Um, I think um, you know there's a, there's a great tradition that goes way back um, And especially in Asia, Chinese uh, landscape painting is partly storytelling and partly uh, visual. So, um, just to continue to build on that tradition, and uh, you know, I think uh, it's timeless in a way, and I think it'll it will continue to uh, be rewarding for me and for the people who do it with me. I think. Absolutely. Uh,
1: If you're not following Dave Gray on LinkedIn or other social channels, do so. Um, I think the visuals that you post from time to time are mind sparkers. So keep them coming, Dave. We like them. Or I like them. (laughs) I think others might too. Um, Thank you for um, reflecting on this past year and on that horizon of change. Um, um, I was surprised how quickly the year flew by. Yeah, me too uh it almost feels like did we get that right in the agenda and yes and and i got a similar reaction from sunil and from danielle um uh, and thank you again for introducing us we've been able to uh, expand our thinking and do some work together on these things and um, we're very grateful for the way that you uh, open up those connections
2: well thanks for having me on the show appreciate it thank you so much
0: You've been hanging out backstage on Design to Change Designer Conversations. Thank you for tuning in and don't forget to subscribe and share conversations online using Design2Change and #EventCanvas. Want more thought-provoking content like this? Visit designtochange.online to purchase your copy of Design to Change: Elevating Your Abilities to Look and Act Beyond the Now. Don't forget, it's more than just a book. Experience a hard copy, audio format, video format, and even augmented reality. Experience it in your style and format. Tune in to our next episodes and hear from more designers and change makers. Until then, we look forward to our next conversation.